listening to Find Your Voice, a podcast made in collaboration with community-backed independent for Goldstein, Zoe Daniel. We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the traditional land of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. Well, hello everyone and welcome to this edition of Find Your Voice. I'm Zoe Daniel and this is a podcast in which we explore policy issues affecting Australia and the electorate of Goldstein. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet. In my case, that's the Bunurung people of the Kulin Nation and their elders past and present and emerging on unceded Aboriginal land. Now, this is our last election episode of Find Your Voice, a podcast we've run since I announced my campaign candidacy in late November and now we're just days away from a federal election. What a journey it has been. We've got two guests joining us today, one very familiar to this podcast, Indi's first independent and the first female independent to sit on the parliamentary crossbench, Cathy McGowan, an old friend of mine. And also joining us today is a familiar face to Australians, veteran journalist Kerry O'Brien, an old colleague of mine from the ABC, who's worked for every free-to-air TV network, including 28 years as a national current affairs TV presenter and interviewer. Thanks to both of you for joining Find Your Voice. Pleasure, Zoe. Yep, good to be here and just get these last few days over and done with. (laughs) Survival mode now. Uh, Kerry, I'll start with you. Now, you've covered many, many elections throughout your career. Where do you think we are in history right now? What's happening and why is it happening now? Are we at a turning point moment? Oh, I think think this is quite a pivotal election, Zoe, and, uh, and it's like no other election I've ever seen, to be honest. Uh, because there are, it's not just that there are it, what seats are in play. It is, it is so many different demographic groups that are potentially at play within individual seats, um, all of which are being targeted mercilessly by the two major parties with the resources to do that. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I think it's very difficult for polling uh, to pick up all the nuances, uh, not just in the, so you've got the inner seats, you know, city seats, you've got the the outer city seats, then you've got the regions and the bush. Uh, And you put that together with, as I say, all those little different demographic groups within each one, very hard for the pollsters to accurately portray all that, particularly given their dismal record at the last election. So very hard to read. But why I think it's pivotal uh, is because I think our democracy is is heading towards, if not already, in a fairly fragile state. I think to work out where Australia is headed five or six years down the track, look at where America is today. And, uh, and I think it's, a, it's a, um, a process that's been slowly evolving uh, over years uh, and, and indeed decades. Uh, we have traditionally been a two major party system and I think each of those party parties has to take responsibility for the, the, for the drop in trust and the rise in cynicism in the electorate and the sense of hopelessness uh, in political leadership around the country today. There are very few standout examples of good leaders and, and, and to w- try and work out why, apart from anything else, you've got to look deep inside those parties, what's gone wrong in them. I think both in their own way have lost their way I think Labor has developed a sense of timidity. I think the Liberals are no longer the party of Menzies. Uh, they have drifted further and further to the right. 
And I think the reason that people like you are playing such a prominent role in this campaign is because there are many, many traditional Liberal voters who feel that they have lost their voice and their relevance in that party. One of the things for me, I guess, that I wonder is why has this coalesced now? I agree with a lot of what you've said, especially having covered the Trump administration. And one of the reasons I'm sitting here is because of my deep concerns about that loss of trust in leadership, that fragmentation of trust, that that sense of us and them and that disillusionment and disconnection, which I think is really dangerous. But what's kind of brought it to a head at this election, do you think, Kerry? Oh, you see, evolution is a, is a thing that can take place over a long period of time. I don't think there's been a particular flashpoint. I think it's been a slow dawning and a slow burn and a slow anger. And many of the people who are disaffected haven't really thought beyond that. They just feel let down. And one way or another, they, they express their anger at the ballot box uh, or they just shrug their shoulders and get on with their own lives and pull the curtains down when they get home at night and try not to think about the rest of the world. But, but clearly there are people who have decided uh, that, that to the extent that they can still trust it, that they're going to let their vote speak for their disaffection. And, uh, and uh, to me, that is quite a heartening sign. You know, I, um, uh, I, I have been at pains in the involvement that I've had in debate around this election campaign not to be seen uh, to in any way try to tell people how they should vote uh, and certainly not to endorse any individual, even an old ABC colleague like you. Uh, but, but it to me, the important thing is that people shake themselves out of their complacency or out of their, their gloom and doom and, and even out of their traditional voting patterns. I think the biggest challenge for Australians going to the ballot box uh, is to force themselves to really think about what this election is about and to actually acknowledge to themselves that their voting is not, that their capacity to vote is not just a right, but also a privilege. Mm. And, that, and that it actually does accord them some power in a system where by and large, more and more people have felt powerless. So to me, I think the big challenge is for people to actually think what are the things that are really most important in their lives what are the issues that most importantly affect them or resonate with them? And in, in my case, I would hope that one of them is the future of, of a strong independent ABC, which has been under attack now and under-resourced for a long time. Uh, but there are many other issues like climate change, where I think both major parties have failed to deliver the goods. But, uh, but that to me would almost be enough because, because the next, you know, the, the, the outcome of that is more likely uh, to be uh, an election result which more genuinely reflects how Australians are really thinking. One thing that's been interesting standing at pre-poll for the last week and a half is the level of excitement that I'm getting from people coming up to vote in what has always been a safe Liberal seat. So you really do get that sense of people having a sense of being part of a democratic pr process of actually executing their power for the first time in many cases. Cathy, I want to come to you because listening to Kerry there and in, in my ponderings on why things have come to a head right now, I just wonder how big a piece of that you are because obviously what I'm doing in part it has been prompted by your 
actions as a a successful independent in Indi, but also the development of the Voices of Movement, which for me, it, it kind of gave me a way of stepping into this space that previously wouldn't have been available to me as someone who's not ideologically connected to either of the major parties. How big a part do you think you've played in it? So, of course, I think about this often and try and understand what's going on. So there's a few there's a few things that I reckon certainly there's been a role for leadership. And and I was I was part of that leadership in Indi, but there was a whole lot of other people who who came up with the this, this idea of community engagement and how do you put it into place. So there's a huge team of thinking that's gone into what happened in Indi. Uh, so while I'm the figurehead for it, those people are still all around, still doing the work, still doing the logic of it all. Now, some of them are voices for Indi, some of them are part of Helen Haynes's campaign, some of them, like Dennis Ginevan, are working on um, how to get other voices happening around the country. So there's a huge number of people that actually um, have been doing the thinking. And I think what happened was when Helen, it wasn't just, there was so certainly there was leadership, but then there was on-ground demonstration that it works. So if you didn't have on-ground demonstration that an, in, that an independent could deliver, not only better representation, but deliver things and do it with that democracy that Kerry's sort of talking about, build the trust. If you couldn't do that, so again, that took a whole community to actually work together to make that happen. So then the next big thing happened was Helen, that community getting behind Helen Haynes and Helen being able to step into a space and not only her, but others being able to articulate the vision. So you can have leadership and you can have community, but then you've got to be able to put it into words that people go, oh, I see it. So that was the second thing. And then the third thing I think that's really had a huge impact is the effectiveness of the current batch of independents in Parliament. To have Zoe Stegall actually the only one who could bring the Parliament together around a climate change bill. Now, they haven't agreed to it yet, but she did the work on that. So Zali's leadership. Helen Haynes' enormous leadership on integrity. Like both parties stood off, did nothing. Helen cut through, brought everyone together, got the legislation up. So, and Andrew Wilkie, his work on gambling and Rebecca Sharkey doing whole lots of stuff. So I think that demonstrated leadership that's come from the crossbench gives people a sense that, oh, oh, it's not just the individual and it's not only a community, it's actually when you get to parliament, there's a platform for you that's effective. And the argument that you can't do anything if you're an independent, like has just fallen away because people can now see like demonstrated evidence of crossbench giving voice to the issues that are real to people. And that didn't, that wasn't the case before. It's interesting how much you talk about community, Cathy, and I've been reminding myself of this daily as I've worked through this campaign. I mean, what's been so extraordinary is the positivity, the optimism, the the momentum that is behind this movement as people have more and more got on board to the, the point that it's actually, it's almost got its its own um, life now. <laughs> it's rolling forward with it with its own spirit. I, I kind of feel like communities almost just needed to be reminded that they have power and then to be empowered to use that power. And then once people see others getting involved, it becomes a safe space and then people realise how energising that is to get involved in. A bit like you, it constantly amazes me, Zoe, 
where people create their own space, they step into the space of leadership and they do stuff. And then they have a really good time. And then they bring their extended family and friends and say, look, I've never been involved in politics, but this is great. So I absolutely see that happen. And one of the things that I'm sure behind it is COVID. And particularly for us in Melbourne, that sense of being locked down and deprived of community for so long um, gave, us, gave us a want to do it but also our ability to connect via Zoom. I think, I think Zoom has played a huge role in our ability to, to connect. And, and, and even when we can't do it in real time, you can build that sense of connection. But I, 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 someone said to me way back in the beginning of this, this whole process, they said, Kathy, um, community is just a myth, you know? And I mm -hmm. said, okay, well, you just don't tell anybody that because <laughs> that's not a good line. And now that person is going, oh, I've actually experienced it because they didn't, they didn't even know it intellectually. But now that they've experienced it, exactly what you're talking about, the, the emotional connection that you get when you belong, um, it's a totally different thing. So I reckon, yeah, I reckon there's something about that. We knew about it all. And maybe in the 50s and the 60s, we had, a, or during the war period, we had a lot more of it. And then we lost it. And I think now we're finding it. And my last comment, it just gives me enormous joy and hope to see that people can see politics as a, as a venue for community or community is a venue for politics. We could see community as a venue for, for sport, but the actual people bringing it into a political realm. Uh, and I think there's a huge amount of understanding that we need to do about, um, say, when you get elected, how you engage with your community, which will be totally different to how Helen Haynes engages with Indite and how the Sydney mob engage. So we'll, we'll, we'll have a huge diversity of what, what the expression of community looks like in political engagement mm. uh, and I'm really excited by that. Yeah, so... Sorry, just to pick up from Cathy, one of the really striking things about what's happening in seats like yours, Zoe, is that is that to suddenly see these quite complacent uh, members in long-term traditional liberal seats or um, um, conservative seats that they suddenly realise they're in trouble. And, uh, and their loudest plea in the recent past has been, you have to save us because otherwise uh, the Liberal Party will lurch even further to the right. Now, they haven't put it in exactly those terms, but that's what they're saying. Uh, as if, even though they have lost their voice inside that party and in a way have become a bit of a smokescreen as moderates for what, is, what has really become a much more conservative party in which they do have no say, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a contradiction in terms for them to say, you've got to save us so we can keep our party from becoming a more conservative party. It is now a more conservative party. And, and sadly, uh, those, uh, those more moderate liberals who, who um, include some quite bright and extremely nice people but they've become ineffectual. And so the argument doesn't stack up. They need better grounds than that uh, for people to, to try and persuade liberal voters to come back to them who have been flirting with the independents. Very, very, uh, in, it's a real insight, I think, to the hollowness of it all. Yes. To go to the sort of psychology of it too, Kerry, and as a student of Trumpism, if you like, and uh, as someone who's been trying desperately to run a positive campaign um, but sort of been in the eye of the storm when it comes to wedge politics and 
dirty tricks and dirt units and all those sorts of things. What do you think it says um, about that? And my sense is that people are really sick of it. So a lot of the people who've come to support my campaign are people who want want politics done done differently. And I'm just not convinced that the major parties have quite realised that that negativity is not hitting the mark with people anymore. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm a pure observer in all this and Cathy, in a way, would be better to comment on it. But, but um, if the Liberals haven't worked that out yet, they're slow learners because they should have been learning that lesson from Cathy McGowan and Indi and Sophie Mirabella in 2013 and again in 2016, where there were two such starkly different styles uh, where, where Cathy's whole approach is not confrontational, it's not, it doesn't get personal, it's not offensive, it's not looking for the other side's weaknesses, it's focusing on your own strengths, uh, which identifiably in her case was the community that was backing her and that she was listening to and reflecting. So uh, you're not going to stop the dirty tricks. They are a part of politics and have been forever. Uh, but, uh, but it's one of the more powerful aspects, I think, of this sort of sense of freshness that is coming out of the independence movement uh, and, and reaching a kind of focal point in this campaign, that, uh, that part of the appeal uh, is that you are trying to, you collectively, are trying to, to run your campaigns and make your arguments above that kind of dirty side and that negative side of things. And uh, uh, you would know as a journalist, uh, as I do, that, um, that with rare exceptions, you are far more likely to get a strong response to a positive news story than a negative one. The negative ones can be extremely important in alerting people to something bad that's going on in our, in our community. <clears throat> but the positive stories are always much more uplifting and, and Far and away, the biggest responses I've ever had to stories have been when they are inspirational stories and positive stories. And I think, I think that's true generally with people. People want hope. They want optimism. But, but there's got to be a body behind it. Cathy, what do you have to say about that? Oh, I just, I, just, I just feel so sorry for you guys in the middle of that horrible storm because it, it's never been your experience to be attacked for doing the right thing. And the fact that the government, the people we've put in our trust, are the actual ones leading the attack, it just takes away so much of your trust in the system that I just wanted to share with you and the listeners up here. In, it's so funny. The Liberal Party are running a huge campaign, and I'm going to name her. Senator Jane Hume has got her name on this one. Big photo of me, big photo of Helen Haynes, and then a hugely loud words. And on huge big billboards, um, Helen Haynes is not Kathy McGowan. <laughs> And when I go to the pre-polling, the Liberals go, oh, but Cathy, you were a great member of Parliament. We all loved you. Oh, Helen's not like you. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, my God, you guys, you gave me such a beating. You know, bashed me over the head, said all these most nasty things about you, but now I'm your best friend. Uh, and it's just like, oh, you guys have got no credibility whatsoever. At least if you're going to attack somebody, keep it consistent. And Helen, <laughs> and, and Helen gets quite worried about it. I say, oh, Helen, nobody's going to fall for that. And they're trying to use her voting record as the, the wedge between the two of us. So I just, 
Oh, and just one other thing, keep an eye out on pre-poll. I've just been hearing the gossip from today in Wodonga that the Liberals bust in and they're being paid $50 an hour to do hand out how to vote cards. Like, come on, guys, really? You are that desperate. You can't get enough locals and you have to pay people to do this. And we've got six or seven, and I'm sure you have at any one time on pre-poll. There's, you know, there's orange everywhere. So, uh, so I, I, I just want to say I feel for you in, the, in being the eye of the storm. Um, the lack of the lack of the the attack and the attack on community and the attack on individuals is just so shocking um and you rising above it is the making of you because that's what bring the community will have have so much more trust in you because when you face this storm they can see that you're able to handle it it's hot in the kitchen you've kept yourself nice you've kept your community on side you kept your team on side um, and that, I think that gives people so much trust for when you're actually in parliament, you'll be able to handle the rigour of the job with great confidence. Well, and one thing um, coming back to you, Kerry, has been the media coverage of this, because although I talk about the, the toxic politics and being in the eye of the storm, I, I would honestly say that this is the most positive thing I have ever done in my life. The people who are carrying me forward are just incredible. You know, my, my fridge and freezer are full of meals cooked by volunteers. My kids have been picked up and dropped off at soccer training by volunteers. You know, I am being lifted up and, and carried by this group. So it is 99% positive, 1% negative and the negative piece is a is a construct in terms of the media coverage I still feel that they just don't get it <laughs> and, and it, it's like it has to be mortal combat you know you talked about the fact that the positive stories always get a bigger response than the negative stories but the media doesn't seem to be able to quite box what's happening or seems incapable of actually understanding what's going on what why is that well, I think, look, for a start, I've got to be careful not to sound like a, a, a disgruntled old codger saying it's not like in my day. Uh, it's not that syndrome at all for me. I'm still engaged enough um, to, be, to see myself as a slightly detached, uh, more observer than player, but nonetheless still connected. So that is not my syndrome. Um, I, I am disappointed in the, broadly speaking, in the journalist coverage of this campaign. I think it's been pretty bloody shallow. I think the journalists have allowed themselves to be trapped um, to a degree by that uh, boring daily focus on photo opportunities and high-vis outfits uh, as the leaders talk at you rather than to you, um, silly gotcha moments, and, and allowing themselves to be more excited by the the frippery and, and the shallowness than actually having to challenge themselves to extract the best they can do and the best they can be as journalists, given the constraints they're under rushing around on this silly media trail of, um, of nonsense. Uh, there, there are very few moments of depth mm. on this campaign from the politicians and from the journalists. And while on the, uh, on the one hand, the journalists and the pollies are, are locked in this sort of devil's dance in that they each rely on the other because they're, they're, they, are, they are two parts of a whole. Uh, nonetheless, I, I, there are not many journalists that I can think of, and I won't go any further than this, there are not too many journalists I can think of who are striking a blow for democracy in the way they're reporting this campaign. And by that, I don't mean that they're 
strong on one side, you know, that they're more for one side than the other. That is not what I'm talking about for a minute. Uh, I'm talking about good, honest, straight, tough, accurate, analytical reporting. And there's just not that much of it. Yeah, we could record an entire podcast on the state of the Australian media, but we might just park that one. Um, Cathy, I want to come back to you just for a final comment. Here we are a couple of days before the election. Uh, It's slightly survival mode from my perspective, but I have 1,200 volunteers who are out today at polling booths, leafleting, door knocking, um, holding signs up on the sides of major roads saying honk for Zoe and all sorts of things. What advice would you give to those volunteers, um, both on my team but also other independent campaign teams between now and Election Day? So thank you. That's a, a lovely question to finish on. The thing I want to say, is it's got two parts. One is that Saturday night and Sunday will be incredibly emotional and you've got to look after yourself and your team, like win or lose or draw. Uh, The the adrenaline that's been keeping everybody going together creates some sort of vacuum afterwards. And if it's a recount, which I suspect it will be in your case, then people have got to wait 10 days for a result. And that is just the most agonising experience. So people to really look after each other and to create opportunity to get together and support each other during that emotional time. So I'm saying that's, that's really, really important. And the other thing I would like to say to everybody listening today is this is just the beginning. <laughs> if you think you've worked really hard on this, it's just the beginning of the work that we've got to do. And, and the analogy I'm using is like the good ship Australian democracy, you know, it's headed off course and your 1,200, 2,000 people are out there rowing. So all that's what they're doing. They're just beginning to row, but now we've got to turn the ship around. And to do that, if when you get elected, you're going to need all that support to help you do your job. And then in three years' time, um, we're going to have to do it again. And then another three years' time, we're going to have to do it again. So the work hasn't finished. It's actually just begun. And so the regrouping afterwards and the reorganising and the revisualising what's the next milestone in place and how do we continue to engage, how do we continue to bring young people into this discussion and then do the governance work that we need to um, uh, and setting up a system for that. Now, I don't think we've got really good systems in place and hopefully um, your team will invent them and be able to share them with others. But just in summary... Look after each other as this emotional washing machine, you know, twirls around and then be thinking for the long term after the election, how are we going to keep the team in place and grow it and then be the support, Zoe, that you need to do your job as a community independent. This is our final pre-election episode of Find Your Voice. I'd like to thank all of the guests that we've had for these 21 episodes of this podcast. Thank you to my volunteers for everything. I know you're all probably too busy to be listening to this, but if you are, you are appreciated. And thank you to my team and podcast producer, Olivia. I ask you, when you vote, please number every box. And thank you to my guests today, Cathy McGowan and Kerry O'Brien. Thank you for joining us on Find Your Voice. Pleasure, Zoe. Good luck for Saturday, Zoe. You can learn more about Zoe, her policies, and how you can support this grassroots campaign at zoedaniel.com.au. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review and share with your family and friends. Every bit of support matters. 
This podcast is authorised by Zoe Daniel. Level 1, 9 slash 214 Bay Street, Brighton, Victoria.